Thank you for listening to Not Another Baptist Podcast. And we would like to say that this podcast is sponsored in part by the Christian Standard Bible. Matt and I both love the CSB and use it in our preaching and in our daily devotions. And we would encourage you to check out csbible.com after the show. You can trust me because I'm a doctor. You know what time it is. Time for another train wreck. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast about what two pastors in New Mexico are learning in the trenches of church revitalization. I'm Matt Hensley, the pastor of Mayhill Baptist and managing editor for Lifeway Pastors. And I am Kyle Bierman, the pastor of First Baptist Alamogordo and director of Replanner Development for the North American Mission Board. And we bring a combined 31 years of ministry experience to the table, and we still mess up time and time again. This episode is sponsored by none other than Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the crown jewel of Southern Baptist seminaries. We encourage you to visit swibbits.edu after the show to learn more about a historical seminary standing firmly on the Word of God, developing passionate ambassadors of Jesus through the Great Commission, and cooperating faithfully with Baptists across the globe. Yep, and these are exciting times for Southwestern. And you know, it's been said that the sun never sets on Southwestern. So let's just say that the sun never sets on that podcast. All right. Well, on that note, we don't know why he chose to come back uh, after, Matt, you, you decided to bring up uh, the, the World Series debacle. Um, but yeah, sorry about that. Dean is back. Dean and Sarah is back with us this week to finish up our talk on his latest book, Unsaved Christian. Welcome back, Dean, and and you know, feel free to take any pot shots at Matt that you that you would like to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I that when LSU hit that walk off home run to beat Miami in '96, I mean, I I felt like Matt's beard. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, I recovering. That, that's, oh man, that's my favorite line for any guest that we've had on the podcast uh, yet. Oh man, well <laughs> well I. I, I mentioned uh, in our last episode about how growing up, you know, church was just something that, that we did. If it was open, uh, we were there, uh, but I, I really didn't know why. And uh, that may lead to uh, this, or that may lead to this. What are the spiritual implications of a person who is a, I believe you say, a Jesus admirer or a Jesus follower? I think that their belief in Jesus actually means something. It actually requires something. It actually demands a response. And please don't see me as trying to be a Pharisee here and saying, God, I thank you. I'm not like these other people. Uh, but we see in the scriptures that mere belief or admiration of Jesus is not necessarily what he's looking for. Everybody seemed to admire him a lot when he fed 5,000. Then you just go a few verses later after the feeding's over and everybody's gone. I would say those people, even though they liked and admired Jesus, they definitely weren't following Jesus. So I think it actually has to mean something. It has to really impact. And what's happened, I think it was D.A. Carson who said, we want enough of Jesus to be associated with him, but not enough to be personally inconvenienced. As we tell our church regularly here, hey, following Jesus interferes with your life. And most people just don't want to hear that. They want Jesus to take the wheel. You know, something goes bad. You can sing along with that Carrie Underwood song as you do that. Uh, but besides that, they just have no interest in what this actually means. Again, if you would suggest that they're not following Jesus, they'd be very offended by that. So we got to be careful how we do it. But for the cultural Christian, you have to remember that their reason for being a Christian in their eyes largely has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do more with family, with heritage, with culture, with morals, with what they're not. 
you know, they're not atheists, they're not Jewish, et cetera. Uh, so I, I think that's the spiritual implications are it just means nothing. And in light of that, in light of those implications for them, how do you navigate that conversation or, or that experience to get someone who thinks they're a Christian to see that, that actually they may not be? How, does, how, how do you navigate that whole process? Well, I think one thing we have to do is, is this going to require courage? You know, like, like we think it's courageous to go to be a college student and speak up for Christ in a classroom or in a setting that is, you know, infiltrated with atheism everywhere and secularism and hostility towards the gospel. We call that courageous. And yes, it is. I think there's kind of a different kind of courageous that needs to happen with, with cultural Christians. And that's just the risk of offending someone, the risk of someone being upset with you, uh, not because we're being harsh or cruel, uh, but simply because we're asking some questions. And if we're in relationships with people, and that's, this is what makes cultural Christianity such a accessible mission field, is you don't have to go out and find them. They might be in your own family. They might be next door, your coworkers, your classmates, your friend that you meet for coffee every week. Uh, so I, I think that we have to press in. And I don't think it's a, a terrible question to ask somebody, what do you think makes you a Christian? And you can even acknowledge, hey, I know that you, know, you uh, go to church sometimes, you're familiar with it. I've, you know, seen you pray before a meal or cross yourself, kind of do the Catholic cross, you know, before a meal. You know, I've seen you do those type of things. I've seen you uh, even post kind of faith-based motivational, you know, messages on your Instagram story, things such as that. And I'm just just curious because we've never really talked about faith before, which I apologize for that because I know it's important. I know it's important to you because they say it is. You can acknowledge that. You're you're a Christian, right? And they'll be like, "Uh, yeah. And say, why do you think that? Like, what makes you that? First, can I tell you what makes me a Christian? And then what makes you a Christian? If your answer is anything but the work of Christ, you might not be. So hopefully your answer about what makes you a Christian is all about what Christ has accomplished for you and how you're responding to that. And then I, I, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I do think the starting point is that simple of a conversation. Like the issue is we just don't have the courage to say it. So, it's, so we can talk about how to do it all day long. And I think it's important to have a how-to approach to it. But if we're not willing to sit down at Starbucks and go, hey, you know, I, you know, in the South, there's a good chance her name's Mackenzie or, or, or two names like, like, you know, um, something like that. Sophie in the South. Hey, hey, Sophie, uh, I know we've never talked about this before. Like, what, what? I know you claim to be a Christian, but like, what makes you one? Like, why do you think you are one? I'm not saying you're not. I, I just I'm just asking what makes you one? Just that leading question could really open up a pretty prepare for defensiveness at first. But then they can open up a pretty great conversation. That's how I do it, at least. Awesome. Well, it, we're we're going to transition just a little bit to uh, to talk about uh, all three of our favorite topics. I'm sure uh, politics. <laughs> okay. uh, we're going to talk a little bit about politics. It seems that many pastors have chosen to uh, hold the water for their favorite politicians and not uh, their savior. Many have turned their pulpits into platforms for politics instead of the proclamation of the good news. Uh, Does being citizens of heaven allow us to disengage in political activity that is often uncomfortable? How, how How do you suggest navigating the tension between the two? Yeah, well, I think being citizens of heaven calls us to engage more, not engage less, uh, because we're not there yet. When, when Jesus told, or when, when the scriptures on Peter wrote to the church that they were sojourners, they were exiles, they were aliens, uh, he also told them to live their lives among the Gentiles. And in our world right now, there's something more among the people uh, than politics, because it's at the center point of everything. 
you know, Paul went into the religious square of the day, you know, when he went in and proclaimed the good news and talked about their, their gods that, that they do not know. Well, to me, the center square of, of human secular religion today is politics. So how necessarily irresponsible to disengage from the center point of the new religion in America, which is politics. So here's the problem. The problem's not when we disengage. The problem's not when we engage. The problem's when we join the religion. And the way the religion is joined is by starting to pledge allegiance to these people and to put our hopes in these people. And no Christian would ever admit they actually do that. I've never met a Christian my entire life that says, you know what? Politics is kind of a religion for me. No Christian will ever admit that. But functionally, how they live their lives, what is it that makes them become unglued? They're not posting on somebody's Facebook post. They're not replying to a Facebook post about somebody's church experience that day and how much they loved it. They're going to reply if somebody says the wrong thing politically. Uh, so I'm asking the question right now, why is it that pastors feel like they're in a climate where they can get away with saying the wrong thing theologically? before they say the wrong thing politically. It's really true. That's not me being extreme at all. You're more likely to get run out of town by saying the wrong thing politically than saying the wrong thing theologically. If you want to see somebody really come unglued and their passion really become flared and inflamed, it's over politics. And that's a pretty scary place to be. So what do we do? I think we have to be very careful that we distinguish between what is clearly scriptural and what is clearly American or Democrat or Republican. And uh, people like to beat up on the religious right side of things and how people are, are, are so in bed with Republican politics. And I actually talk about that in the book. Uh, but I think it's become just as much of a problem with the more progressive Christians in the Democratic Party. I mean, all you have to see is they, people who post about everything you could possibly imagine on Twitter. But when New York uh, passed their abortion uh, after birth bill, uh, when or, or, or up to birth or after birth, and Virginia had the presentation. They were silent, complete crickets on these things. I'm not trying to say those people are pro are pro choice, but all of a sudden you're silent on this. Why are they silent on it? Because it involved Democrats. You know, in the same way, Christians can be silent. Donald Trump can say the most outrageous thing in the world, and Christian pastors who praise him regularly are silent. It's like, well, you don't have to comment on everything. Well, the issue is you do comment on everything, <laughs> but you haven't commented on that. And my whole point is it's become a religion. And that's a really, really sad place to be. It's a modern-day idol. It's a modern-day Baal. And when I look through the scriptures, I see the prophets and the figures that God has used speaking right to the Baal worship, getting right in the middle of it and, and pointing to something better. And we just have to be willing. It's, again, it's, another, it's another courageous thing. Because, again, you want someone to leave your church – push on their politics. I don't want anybody to leave my church. That's a terrible place to be, right? No pastor likes that. Uh, but if we're really going to reach people, we got to push through those kind of things. And so then as we begin to wrap up a little bit, um, you know, we've talked about some, some hard, we've talked about navigating through some, some tough waters and, and you, you touched just now on, on how to really make people mad in a hurry. Right. So, so if you're <laughs> looking quick. to, if you're looking to blow up your church, th there's the way to do it. Right. Just, just start pushing yep. politics. The but, thing, but so, so let's, let's talk some good news here. We, we've talked through the last two weeks about um, cultural Christians, right. Folks that, that think they are, but, but from a, from a theological standpoint, we would say at best, maybe, and even probably not actual, say, have saving faith in, in Christ. So then the question is, what is the hope 
for generations of these families stuck in cultural Christianity. You know, mom and dad went to church, grand, grandma and granddaddy went to church, great granddad was the preacher who founded the church. So, so what's the hope for those families who are just stuck in this, in this rut of, you know, this, this churchianity rather than being followers of Jesus? Well, I appreciate you asking that question, man. When I see, and I think my own story, but also my friends, when I see cultural Christians come to Christ, it's incredible, man. Because they are, I mean, they are the most on fire people I've ever met before because they're, they're familiar enough with it where it's not brand new in terms of just sort of the lingo and those kind of things. So they don't feel like they're starting from like, like nothing. Uh, they have some kind of familiarity with their eyes open to, oh, this is what it is. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to know the Lord, to believe the gospel. Man, none of my friends know this. And they become the greatest evangelist you've ever met in your life. And those stories of, you know, you'll be saved and you'll be baptized and you're a whole household. That happens in cultural Christian circles where all of a sudden you see mom and dad go from what crazy pill did you take? You know, and being a little offended to, well, we're Christians. You trying to say we're not Christians? Why are you getting baptized? You were baptized when you were, you know, a baby. And like, like and what, what are you talking about? And, and, and then are, do you not think we're good people? They always equate it back to that for some reason about being good people because they've tied that as one and the same. And all of a sudden, over time, they realize, wait a second, he's not overzealous. He's not taking crazy pills. He's our same son. He, this Jesus he believes in is not the Jesus that he was raised in. Hmm. And I'm telling you, I see it happen all the time. I see adult 60, you know, I see adult children come to Christ. By adult children, I mean, like, that are going to influence their parents. The sons and daughters come to Christ in their 30s and reach their 65-year-old parents for Christ and see them get baptized. I, I legitimately see it happen regularly. So the good news is when they see it, that light bulb goes off, and you can almost hear them go, oh, uh, okay. that Oh, it, it really is that kind of processing in their mind. This is not the same. It's not just those crazy born-again people. <laughs> this, really, this really is, you know, this is different. And I, I'm telling you, if I could – if I could really kind of push one thing for I just want to take away from the book, it's that understanding that first and foremost, cultural Christianity is altogether different religion. And we have to really understand it and dig into it and profile it and understand who these people are, what they believe, what makes them tick. And I don't think we can reach them until we come to grips with that. Because part of reaching cultural Christianity is not being in denial about them. And that's what happens a lot. People in their pride they're in denial about cultural Christians because it's their son, it's their daughter, it's their mom, it's their dad. It's like, man, we got to get over that. We want to see these folks reach for Christ. Yeah. And, and one of the ways that we can dig into that a bit is, of course, your book. So uh, I think you just answered that question. Why should people uh, buy it? Because we've got loved ones, we've got friends and families that are stuck in a completely different religion. And this is going to help to spot that, kind of walk through that and, and press them into the uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, you answered this last week, uh, but in case somebody missed it, tell us where we can find the book. Amazon or wherever books are sold. I had people text me, they saw it in Barnes and Noble this week. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the place. We'd love, nice. awesome. we love for you to pick it up uh, because again, cultural Christians are just as lost as the atheists or agnostic. Uh, we just, there's just different means by which we have to reach them. All right. And then the last question, I, I have this one. I'm excited about this one. Okay. We, we, we established last episode that you are a baseball fan. Okay. So what we want you to do is to give us the all in Sarah team, your, your favorite players for each position. Matt wrote this throughout history. So there's your task. Right, you on the spot. Favorite or best? Favorite or best? Favorite. The, 
Oh, I was okay. going to say, if you're, you're going to say favorite. The, the guys you want on the field at the time. However you want to do it, but I just assume that Warren Morris is not going to be one of them. He's not the second baseman on my team. Uh, so I actually saw him play a minor league game about 20 years ago and gave him a dirty look. So, uh, but, uh, so I would say if you want to go favorites, my favorite all-time catcher is Benito Santiago. I love that he wore a double-digit number when he was number nine, wore 09. That's just extra brownie points. And he was the first guy to fell down on his knees and wore sunglasses under his mask. Oh, that's so much swag. That ain't even funny. Uh, so, so, uh, so, that, so that is that. Um, uh, so at, uh, at first base, uh, I would uh, probably go with Mark McGuire because I just love that era when he and Sammy were going back and forth for the home run. Uh, I have a hard, my favorite baseball player of all time is Craig Biggio. So I'm having a hard time trying to find what position to put him on. He's a great catcher. He's a short second base and center fielder. Um, so I'm going to put him in center field because I'm going to put Ryan Sandberg at second base. So I like Ryan Sandberg a lot. Um, short stops, I love a crazy good glove. I'm a, I'm a big offense guy, but I don't care if my shortstop hits 100. He can bat ninth and just be an awesome glove guy. The so favorite shortstops was probably uh, Greg Gagne, uh, who played for the Twins. Uh, I just loved his glove, played for the Royals. Uh, strictly off glove, okay, is what I'm, is what I'm going for with that. Um, third baseman, just because I'm a homer, uh, Tallahassee local Dean Palmer, who played for the Rangers, <laughs> and uh, just because he's too severe. He had a pretty decent major league career, but, but, I, but I, liked, I liked him a lot. Um, and then my outfielders, guys, I love Barry Bonds. No shame. Judge me all day. Yeah, just, I, I love Barry Bonds, and I will fight for Barry all day long. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, and uh, I'm right about that. So uh, you guys had the right to be wrong, but if you want to discuss it, uh, that, that, is, that is fine. And then um, some outfielders after that, um, I, uh, I, I, again, I, I really like hitters. So um, I like, of course, I love Barry Bonds. Um, I loved, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now on favorites. I thought it was best at first. So I was prepared to have yeah. the best all-time team. Uh, so I'm trying to, so I'm trying to uh, go with it. Paul O'Neill, I love. I like the Yankees. Yeah, I like Yankees, but the history of the Yankees. My grandpa was the official scorekeeper for the Yankees uh, for spring wow. training uh, for a long time. So we have a kind of long Yankee, link, Yankee lineage there in my family. And uh, I probably uh, go with yeah with Paul O'Neill because I just I just loved him as a player, and um, if I'd have one more outfielder uh, after that, you know who it'd be because I watched the Braves growing up. Not a Braves fan, but watched the Braves growing up. I love Dave Justice. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I remember getting his baseball cards. He was a hot rookie in 1990, and that was a big deal. And pitcher Kurt Schilling all the way, twice on Sunday. Kurt Schilling wow. goes Southwest. Cool over there, your neck of the woods, Diamondbacks. <laughs> Yeah. I was say you got you, you know I mean you you got Biggio so you're in good with uh with Matt you threw in Dean Palmer so you got the Rangers um you know I mean that's uh, you, you're wrong as can be on Barry Bonds uh, but you know we we're, we're friends with How despite his uh, Taylor Swift obsession so you know we 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 just you know it's part of the sanctification process. Is- oh, I, I, I couldn't hear you guys. I think, I think Barry Bonds just hit another home run. I couldn't hear. You. Oh, oh yeah. Well. Cal doesn't even worry about his entire team. All he's worried about is he wants Pudge Rodriguez because he's going to be buried in a Pudge Rodriguez uh, right. coffee I can. Bought, I bought Pudge he, coffee, his man. cremation. Yeah, he's going to put it. all I of his it. ashes in it. I love Pudge's run with the Marlins. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like Pudge well, thank because you. he's five foot nine and <laughs> he's, he's and a real four foot ten. <laughs> awesome Awesome. thank you dean we appreciate it thanks guys well for now it is time to hop off the train until next week we hope that you enjoyed these two weeks with dean and sarah we're grateful that you took the time to listen in and if you haven't be sure to subscribe on itunes or wherever you find your podcast 
You can visit us online at notanotherbaptistpodcast.com or on Facebook under Not Another Baptist Podcast or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast. Send us out, Dr. Bierman. Until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare.